Welcome to the Valley Bear Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, One Hit Wonders. Did you know that there are five books in the Bible that have only one chapter? They are so good, so important, and full of significance that just a single chapter of writing was given a title and included among the 66 books of the Bible. In this series, we'll discover what made that one chapter of these books such a wonder. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. We're in this series called One Hit Wonders, and I can't wait to share this message with you because we're going to learn this truth. Good interpretation leads to good application. Now, a one-hit wonder refers to one of the five books in the Bible that are only one chapter in length. And regardless of the length of those books, they're included in the Bible for a reason. And that reason is that they contain truth that we need to know. And so today's one-hit wonder is the letter of 3 John. Now, this letter was a personal letter written by the Apostle John to a man named Gaius. Now, In all the letters of John, there is a bit of a theme about dealing with teachers, specifically Bible teachers who are not interpreting Scripture well, and thus they're not applying that well either. And of course, as followers of Jesus, we want good interpretation so that the truth can be known about Jesus and so that the truth about Jesus can be shared. John wanted there to be good interpretation of the teachings of Jesus because he knew that it would lead to good application of Jesus' teaching in the lives of the followers of Jesus. So this letter starts off talking about truthful scripture interpretation. So let me read the first section of this letter. This letter is from John the Elder. I am writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you are living according to the truth. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. So John's written this letter to this man, and we don't know whether Gaius is part of the congregation that's led by a man named Diotrephanes or if he's part of another congregation. But the letter starts off written to him, and it uses some of those standard types of greetings that we see in many first century letters. But you'll notice that he stresses the importance of living in the truth. Now, in the letters of 1st and 2nd John, uh, John has addressed the false teaching about Jesus that's been circulating in these congregations in Ephesus. Specifically, they've been teaching that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that he was not a human being, but rather that he seemed as if he was human. Now, here's the deal. This is false teaching because it denies the doctrine of the incarnation. In other words, that that Jesus, God the Son, became human. Now, the doctrine of the incarnation says that Jesus was fully God and fully human. And think about it this way. If Jesus didn't become fully human, then Jesus didn't really die on the cross to pay for our sins. 
And if Jesus wasn't human and didn't die on the cross, then there wasn't a physical bodily resurrection. And if there wasn't a resurrection of a dead savior back to life, then the power of sin and death were not defeated. And if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, then he didn't defeat those powers, which means you and I cannot be saved. That means that you and I are still lost in our sins. It means our faith has no meaning. The Apostle Paul captured this himself. He said, you know, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is, is futile. It's meaningless. So that's the kind of stuff that, that John has been addressing. Clearly, he wants the followers of Jesus to know the truth. And that's why John in this letter affirms Gaius for living according to the truth and for following the truth. Now, this was so important for disciples in Jesus' day, and it's so important for us today as his disciples. So John knows that good interpretation of the teaching of Jesus will lead to good application, and that's what he means by telling Gaius that he's glad that he's living in the truth. In fact, we have to remember what Jesus told his disciples, and we read about this in the Gospel of John. He said this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's what we want. We want the truth of Jesus to set us free in Christ. Now, as we see this whole issue about the teaching of truth, I need to pause here for a moment, and I actually need to, to point out a case of bad biblical interpretation in our very own lifetime. And unfortunately, it has influenced the church of Jesus Christ for decades around the world. And here's the irony. The verse that we're going to look at from Scripture is not just interpreted poorly. It's actually interpreted incorrectly. And it's actually a verse from the letter of 3 John. Now, it's actually uh, the second verse. And this is how it reads in the New Living Translation that I'm reading from today. It says, Dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. Now, when this false teaching began to be taught, uh, they would take it from the King James Version. So let me just read it to you there because you'll understand uh, what it becomes called after I read this verse to you. From the third letter of John, verse 2, the King James Version. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. So dating back to the mid-20th century, this verse became a favorite verse for those preachers and teachers who promote a false teaching that has become known as the prosperity gospel. They interpret that verse to mean that God wants all of his followers to prosper, both materially with wealth and physically in health. And they've turned this verse into a false justification to use God's name and God's word to pursue wealth and health. And they've told legions of people that just to have that health and wealth, you've got to have enough faith. And they've damaged lots of people and their faith along the way. And this is sad because this is not what this verse is about. So 
Let me give you a few keys for how to interpret Scripture truthfully using this very own verse. So, first, you need to be a student of the Bible. And to be a student of the Bible, that actually means we let Scripture interpret Scripture. We let the Bible interpret the Bible. And let me explain what this means. So when you read through the letters of the New Testament, you'll see that those letters almost always open with a customary greeting. You could almost say it's like a formula of how to start a letter in the first century. You start with a series of greetings. The irony is we sort of do that in the way that we talk to people today. So whether you're calling somebody on the phone or you run into somebody at the store, you probably say this to somebody you know, hey, John, how you doing? And what's John going to reply? Well, the socially acceptable response will be fine because that's just the, the customary way we've gotten to greeting and responding to one another. It's not like you're expecting John to give you a whole list of what's going on with his health. You're just expecting for him to respond to you. So when that person responds with fine, that's, that's good. That's all you need to know. So when John wrote in his third letter, dear friend, I hope all is well with you and that you are as healthy in body as you are strong in spirit. It was just a standard greeting like we see in any other New Testament letter. See how this one Bible verse got misinterpreted. But now look at how we have demonstrated how to interpret it by using other scriptures. We're letting the Bible interpret the Bible. Here's the second key to having good interpretation. Don't take a verse out of context. Pulling verses out of context like what was done with 3 John with the prosperity gospel, it, it can be tempting, but God gave it to us in a context, and that context had meaning, and we need to understand that meaning, so we need to keep it in context. Now, there's a classic example that professors use to show the dangers of taking verses of Scripture out of context. And it's three verses that they take out of context and they marry them together. So I'm just going to read them to you. First, from Matthew 27, verse 5, it says, Judas went out and hanged himself. And then from Luke 10, 37, it says, Go and do likewise. And then from John 13, 27, it says, What you are about to do do quickly. Now, obviously, we know we shouldn't do that, but this shows the danger of taking scriptures out of their context. So there's an important application to this part of this one-hit wonder third letter of John. We need to pursue the truth of God's Word. We need to be diligent to study it and understand it and interpret it correctly so we can apply it correctly. And that means we need to be students of God's Word, taking it in every day and learning it, becoming familiar with it. So, again, good interpretation leads to good application. So, let's continue in this next section of the third letter of John and read what he talks about next. And I'm going to call it this, active mission support. So, this is what John writes, beginning in verse 5. 
Dear friend, you are being faithful to God when you care for the traveling teachers who pass through, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church here of your loving friendship. Please continue providing for such teachers in a manner that pleases God. For they are traveling for the Lord, and they accept nothing from people who are not believers. So we ourselves should support them so that we can be their partners as they teach the truth. So again, uh, John is talking to Gaius. He's praising him for his support of the itinerant preachers and teachers that are coming through that the apostles have sent to instruct him and the other Christians in the churches in that area. And he's praising him because he knows when they follow this orthodox teaching, they will become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, in many of the letters, particularly the Apostle Paul, he would mention some of those teachers in the closing remarks of his letters. For instance, in Paul's letter to Philemon, as he closes, he writes that his fellow workers send their greetings, and then he names four of those, uh, those workers. The purpose of this was threefold. First, he wanted to identify who the apostles had authorized to be teachers of the truth of the gospel so as to differentiate them from the false teachers. Second, he wanted to let the churches know, the congregations know of the plans of these teachers who might be coming to them in the near future. And third, and most importantly, he wanted to remind these congregations that they were in a partnership together with these teachers. So they needed to support these teachers in their essential ministry of spreading the gospel. And it's this last point that John focuses on in the third letter of John. You see, he reminds Gaius that he and the church are being faithful to God by caring for these teachers, caring for these preachers, these itinerant messengers of the gospel. He tells them that their actions in doing this are pleasing to God. And most importantly, he tells them that when they support these teachers of the gospel, they're actually becoming partners in the ministry as they support these teachers who are teaching the truth of Jesus Christ around the world. So let me pause here for a moment and let's consider what the world was like in the first centuries of the church. You know, the Marriott didn't exist then. Uh, while there were inns and there were innkeepers, we don't know how available those types of institutions were in every community. So that meant showing hospitality was a way that was common for people to care for travelers. And specifically for the church, this became critical as itinerant preachers and teachers would bring the message of Jesus from town to town, from congregation to congregation, to church to church. And it's this type of hospitality that John is writing about. And he means more than giving a meal. He means giving them a place to say. He means actually giving them financial support because he realizes that this has to be done because non-Christians, non-believers aren't going to support this. Remember in those early centuries, particularly followers of Jesus were considered suspect, particularly by the, by the government of the land at that time. So what John is saying is that he's making a case 
to reason with his fellow Christians and these congregations that they should care for and support these teachers because when they do that, they're working with them. They're actually partnering with them, helping them fulfill their calling of spreading the gospel to the rest of the world. He's making it clear that together, each Christian who supports these teachers, each congregation is a partner in this ministry. And that's so important. Now, what was true for the first century church is also true for the 21st century church. And let me say this, your support of Valley Brook and this ministry means that we're working together. We're partners in this ministry, in this work. We're a team. Your financial support, your prayer support, your active service in the ministries of Valley Brook and the missions that we support are all essential to what God has called Valley Brook to do. Because of your support of Valley Brook, when someone crosses the line of faith to become a follower of Jesus, I don't take credit for that. We say, look at what God has done through us because we're doing this together. When a week of kids camp is completed in a few weeks where dozens and dozens of kids have been taught about Jesus and they've grown in their faith and understanding of God's love for them, we're not going to look to Rob Wooka and say, look what Rob did. We're going to say, look what God did through us. When a million dollars was spent to convert this equestrian center called Valley Brook into a church, I didn't say, look at what I did. I said, look at what God has done through us. Why? Because we're in a partnership to spread the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the teaching of him to people around this area and around the world. Everything we do, we do together. Every time we support this ministry, you support it, I support it, all of us support it through giving, through prayer, through serving. It's evidence of our partnership together in spreading the good news of Jesus. And now one other thing. It's important for me to remind you that when you give financially to support Valley Brook, you're helping us support almost two dozen ministries and missions around the world and around this area. I'm talking about mission work, like what we heard about from our missionary Jalen Perry earlier today. She's in Guatemala, but also about the mission work that's done by the Nehemiah House right here on our campus at Valley Brook. You know, from the very beginning of Valley Brook, we've set aside 10% or more of every dollar given to Valley Brook to support the mission work that helps us spread the gospel here and around the world. So in those 22 years of ministry, that means we're, we're pushing toward $2 million that's been invested by all of us together in the kingdom mission work of God and his son, Jesus Christ all through your support. You see, we're partners. We're partners in that generosity. We're partners in that kingdom building mission work. We are all doing this together because the truth of the matter is we are better together. We're part of one body, the body of Christ. So hear me loud and clear when I say this. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving great and small to the kingdom work of Jesus Christ here at Valley Brook. Through, through those gifts, together, I know that we are changing the world one life at a time.
So after John writes about supporting those teachers who share the truth of God's word with other people, he turns to the idea of what I call fruit-bearing leaders. So let me read this passage beginning in verse 9. I wrote to the church about this, but Diotrephanes, who loves to be the leader, refuses to have anything to do with us. When I come, I will report some of the things he's doing and the evil accusations he is making against us. Not only does he refuse to welcome traveling teachers, he also tells others not to help them. And when they do help, he puts them out of the church. Dear friend, don't let this bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. Remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children, and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. So it's pretty clear here that Diotrephanes, the leader in this congregation, is neither following the leadership of the apostles nor their example. And it would appear that Diotrephanes wants to be in charge and in control, and he doesn't want to have to do have anything to do with the apostles or the teachers that they've been authorized, that have been authorized to be sent to them. When you read what he's done, it's clear that he's created a toxic environment where if someone helps a fellow Christian teacher who's been sent by John or another apostle, he's going to remove that congregant from the congregation. But think about this. When we remember that Jesus taught that people would be known by the way they loved one another, it's obvious. It's obvious that Diotrephanes is either a pathological leader or a predatory leader, and there's no place for any type of leadership like that in the church. Diotrephanes seems to think that this congregation is his personal kingdom and not part of the kingdom of God. He seems to have forgotten that Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but to serve And that Jesus modeled that servant leadership by washing the feet of his disciples and by sacrificing his life on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. When a follower of Jesus answers the call of God to be a leader, he or she needs to know that calling is not to be a leader the way the the world looks at leadership. The world equates leadership with fame and fortune. But Jesus makes it clear that leaders serve others. So after John talks about Diotrephanes' poor leadership example, he speaks to Gaius and he says, don't let that bad example influence you. Follow only what is good. And then he goes on and he makes it clear how to judge a good leader from a bad leader. So John writes, remember that those who do good prove that they are God's children and those who do evil prove that they do not know God. Wow, that's pretty strong. So what John is talking about is that leaders should be evaluated by whether they do good or do evil. But it's not just doing good deeds versus evil deeds. It's how you serve when you do those good deeds. He's implying that we also need to see that good deeds are done with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those nine qualities, they may be familiar to you because you know them as the fruit of the Spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul identified as the fruit of the Spirit. He said that when Christians let the Holy Spirit live in them, 
This is the kind of fruitfulness they produce. That's the kind of leader we all want to follow. Now, with Diotrephanes in mind, I'll remind you of some of the qualities that the Apostle Paul mentions are products of our sinful human nature. Some of those are jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, and envy. It sounds, it sounds like Diotrephanes, obviously, and, that, and this is not the kind of leader you and I want to follow, and that's not the kind of leader who's going to live in and teach the truth of the gospel. So John is supporting Gaius, and he's reminding him of what a fruit-bearing leader looks like, and he's encouraging him to be that kind of leader himself. Now, as John brings this letter to a close, he concludes with some words about the messenger that brought the letter to Gaius. His name is Demetrius. He says, he writes this, Everyone speaks highly of Demetrius, as does the truth itself. We ourselves can say the same for him, and we know we speak the truth. And then he goes on, he says, I have much more to say, but I don't want to write it in pen or ink, for I hope to see you soon, and then we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. Your friends here send you their greetings. Please give my personal greetings to each of your friends there. So as we draw this message on the third letter of John to a close, this one-hit wonder, I want to restate what I believe the theme of this book is. Good interpretation leads to good application. We have the Bible and we know it's true, but we have to read it. We have to interpret it. We have to apply it to our daily living. In this short book, we, will see, we see both good and bad interpretation and application. But while we may never know uh, uh, what it's like to be a Bible scholar on the level of a university professor, we're all called as followers of Jesus to follow his word, to incorporate it into our lives. And that's only going to happen if we're intentional. It's good that we gather on Sundays to hear God's word expounded upon and taught, but every day we need to take God's word into our lives and apply it and let it become part of who we are. So as I bring this message to a close, I'm going to give you the same challenge that I gave last week because I think it's really important. I want to challenge you to start reading a chapter of the Bible every day, and I would encourage you to start with the Gospel of Matthew. And before you read... I would ask you to pray and ask God to speak to you, to open your heart and mind to what he wants you to hear and wants you to see. And I would encourage you to keep a pen and paper with you because you may have questions that you need to write down. You may have observations that you need to write down. You may have applications that you want to remember, that you want to apply to your life. So write those down. And truly, whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're just investigating, this is a great way to learn more about Jesus and apply his teaching to your, wor- to your lives. Now, I will say this. If you're already doing this, then take it up a notch. And one simple way you can take it up a notch is find somebody that you can read the same 
verses of scripture on the same day. And then you can talk about it either on the phone or through text or email. So I would encourage guys to find a guy to do that with and women to find a woman to do that with and use it as a way to really explore God's word and learn more and apply it. And that will give you some accountability by doing that with somebody else. So as I close this message, I wanna just pray for you that you would be students of God's word and understand that uh, good interpretation leads to good application. And I'm going to give anybody the opportunity who wants to put their faith in Jesus for the first time. So if you would, bow your heads and let's pray. God, as we gather here today, we have looked at your word and it's spoken to us. We know that we need to be good interpreters of your word so we can apply it well. So I pray for each one of us that we would do that, that we would fill your call to us every day to open up the Bible and to read it and even do that with somebody else as an accountability partner. And then for that person who may be deciding to follow Jesus for the first time, I want to encourage you to take these words that I'm going to give to you and make them your own silent prayer right now to become a follower of Jesus. So just pray these words silently wherever you are. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to save me from my sins. I accept his forgiveness. And now I commit myself to following him all the days of my life. And we pray all these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song? Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.